I want to explore in the talk this evening the movement from shamatha practice and insight practice to the cultivation of uh, what we're calling awakened awareness, what in the title for the retreat was called luminous awareness. We have five main forms of practice in this retreat, supported by the heart practice, for many of us, metta, and the the movement practice, really helping us to connect further to our bodies. We then have three uh, broad areas of practice that, that have been really the central focus each for, so far, two of them for two days. The cultivation of samadhi, first two days, and then up through today, uh, insight practice, but particularly focused on cultivating what we've been calling the three ways of seeing that bring liberating insight into anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, uh, dukkha, her reactivity. You often translate it as suffering, uh, but I think that can be confusing. Uh, and, and then uh, not self or anatta. And I'll be introducing the exploration of awakened awareness, which is really called by different names in different traditions. It's a kind of uh, non-dual awareness beyond the structure of knower and known, beyond the solid sense of self, the ordinary self, also be beyond the kinds of um, meditative selves that we set up, such as the, have you noticed that we set up a kind of a self in meditation? Like the one who tracks things, the one who knows things. Very important, very helpful, but still a kind of construction, right? And we go, we go beyond that. And we go beyond many of the structures of ordinary experience, time, space, a sense of self, ordinary objects, and so forth. And there's a way in which the first two areas really build, uh, really lead to that awakened awareness. And in some ways, we can see that, for some of us, already happening. So what I want to do in the talk is really cover three areas The first is pointing to how the development of samadhi and the development of insight, as they progress, in a way, start pointing beyond themselves towards this awakened awareness. Secondly, I want to talk about the nature of awakened awareness 
really with reference to three main sources. There are quite a number of sources we could draw from. I'm going to point to the source in the teachings of the Buddha, and then in the uh, Thai forest tradition of the last, um, you know, 130 years, and then the um, Tibetan traditions of Dzogchen and Mahamudra going back maybe uh, to their sources in India, maybe 11 or 1200 years. And then thirdly, I'm going to talk about ways to access this awakened awareness. And then in our practice sessions tomorrow, we'll work with some of these access methods. It's actually not that hard to have glimpses of awakened awareness, to have glimpses of an awareness beyond the structures of ordinary experience. It's not so hard to have a glimpse. It's harder, well, it's hard, I was thinking of an old Woody Guthrie song just came through me. It's hard and it's hard and it's... Remember that? <laughs> I mean, anyway. Okay. Um, so it's hard to stabilize awakened awareness. It's hard to have that be stable. And it's, um, it's hard to have it stable in meditation. And it's even harder to have it stable in daily life. That's kind of the progression. You first access it, which is not so hard, and then you let it get more stable, which can take quite some time. And then you, not, it's not always linear like this, but then one brings it into more and more of one's life and lives from it. So first, how the development of samadhi and the development of insight in themselves start to lead towards uh, awakened awareness in a way point beyond themselves. And so with, with our cultivation of samadhi, we start with uh, a, what, I, what I'm calling kind of meditative knower. It's almost like a meditative self that knows the object for most of us, the breath. Um, and we, we learn to rest more and more with the object, with the breath. And we go through quite a process to learn that to do that with less effort, more ease and relaxation. And I'm reminded by, of a very helpful way of showing this development of samadhi that um, Philip Moffat, who, who many of you know, uh, offered. He said that, you know, it's something like the upper hand is the consciousness that's knowing the object, and the lower hand's the object. And initially, it's like the upper hand tries to know the object, and it kind of goes, whoop, doesn't quite get it, slides by on different sides, and sometimes it touches it for a moment, whoop, and bounces off. Sometimes if the efforting is really strong, it grabs hold, but that, that doesn't work because the object sort of slivers away anyway. And so we can do it like that. And it takes some time to just sort of land with some ease on the object. And then ultimately, the two hands rest together. That's a helpful image. You can, you can bring the, uh, that to mind in doing 
uh, shamatha practice. I find it quite helpful. You can, and you could, you can, you know, when you go home, you can tell them, we developed samadhi practice, or we developed samadhi, and here's what my mind was like. <laughs> but then ultimately, hmm, like that. As the samadhi deepens, we actually don't need the effort as much. And some of you are touching that, and some of you, um, you know, know that from past practice. As um, as we deepen in samadhi, we enter almost like a kind of a groove, and we can just be with the object without much effort. It just there, there, it rests in, a, in an easy way. And we don't need so much of the, what I could call the meditative self or will or the tracker. It's actually just with the, the object. And so in a way, you know, the sense of meditative self and the doer and the meditator who has to connect, it, tends, it starts winding down as the samadhi deepens. There is a way also, as we deepen in samadhi, that um, thought winds down. As we deepen also, the object sometimes becomes less distinct. Some of you probably experience at times the breath not being so clearly there in some way. It seems to be a little bit elusive. Anyone experience that at times, the breath being elusive? And... um, there can be sometimes uh, lights in the mind. We sometimes call the lights of um, developing samadhi the starry night, like the Van Gogh painting. And there are lights, and the object is less obvious, less central. It sometimes starts turning into energy, what seems like energy or like pixels. You know, and the object is um, kind of vibrant. There's still sort of a an imprint around it so we can still focus on it, but it's less, it becomes less distinct. The sense of self and the sense of object um, are diminishing. And in some traditions, actually, I know I've practiced in one um, system called the uh, Atri system in Tibetan uh, practice, which is connected with the bone tradition, where one actually moves from the development of samadhi right into awakened awareness. It's an entry place as some of those processes I described occur. The, the, there's more of an absorption with the object. The object becomes less discreet. And there's a kind of moving into this, like this larger awareness just by initially focusing, focusing on the object. Something similar can happen with insight practice. And again, I think some of us touch that at times. You know, we start by developing some stability of mind through cultivating samadhi, and then we bring um, mindfulness to the field of experience. 
As we deepen, we develop something like a choiceless awareness. And I, I talked earlier really about two forms of that. One is our more standard form when we establish a base, a stable awareness or stable mindfulness, and then we let whatever is predominant receive our attention. That's a kind of choiceless awareness. There's another kind which I've referred to when the mind is quite stable, not much conceptualization going on in the mind, and we can just be with the flow of experience, the impermanent flow. And increasingly, we're beneath the level of conceptualization. This, this is a sort of a further development of choiceless awareness when there's a high degree of stability. And uh, we are increasingly with what we might call something like raw sense data. You know, and some, of, some I'm sure we experience this at times, often can just have the raw sense data of body sensations without labeling anything or without... Uh, without necessarily conceptualizing. How many at least have some taste of that? You know, being kind of with the flow of experience. And so that can, can you see how the ordinary structure, even of mindfulness, is starting to shift? You know, the object is winding down, the sense of self no longer has will, no longer is trying to do this or do that, it's just tracking. And then at a certain point, when we're tracking, it's possible, and this is actually an access route to awakened awareness, when the mind is very stable, there's just the flow of experience. Sometimes we can let go of the tracker, which is connected with the, um, the structure of knower and known. In a sense, we let go of that structure of knower and known, and it can actually access this large, more vast awareness. And that, that, so that can come also through uh, through insight practice. <clears throat> so we can do that sometimes with the cultivation of impermanence and it can open up to something where there just is kind of a knower watching the impermanent flow. And again, at times, that divide can can lessen. And we, you know, in our practice, we also see, uh, we see, we, we see dukkha. We see that, we see dukkha, we see a strong sense of self, that which makes it harder to, um, or maybe let me back up, that which in which there still are these habitual structures of self. And a lot of our practice is actually seeing those habitual structures of self, and habitual patterns of thinking and knowing. And as we see them more, they tend to get worked through, you know. And, you know, sometimes for a lot of us, there also, there also are aspects of what I've called sort of a thick sense of self which come up, which actually aren't something that we so much want to go beyond, but sometimes there's a strong sense of self because something is calling for healing. Something is calling to be worked through. And I, I didn't mention that earlier when I talked about dukkha, but it's actually really important. So 
as with the experience of not-self, as, as Devin was suggesting, so with awakened awareness, we have to be careful of wanting to get there too quickly. And it's very important to be with the integrity of the process. And again, sometimes what's coming up is saying, this part of me needs some further attention, some further healing, maybe outside of even of retreat. It could be trauma. It could be um, some grieving that hasn't occurred and so forth. And so just to, I just wanted to bring that in. That that needs to be honored, you know. So I'm, I'm pointing to awakened awareness, but we really want to honor the process because it actually doesn't work to try to get there too quickly. And so as we practice with these three ways of seeing that liberate, again, we move increasingly into a sense of the flow of experience, noting what makes it hard to be aware of the flow of experience. You know, the reactivity, the habitual patterns, the um, strong strong sense of self. And we increasingly learn to practice and see experience Um, at times without the influence of that strong sense of self. And that, again, was what the Buddha was pointing to as a kind of training. He, this um, this is from the Buddha. This is how the training should be done. Concerning this body with its consciousness, let there be no self-centered imaginings of I and mine, no such bias. With regard to external objects, let there be no self-centered imaginings of mine and no such bias. We shall then abide in the attainment of the heart's liberation and the liberation by wisdom. So, that's the, that's the direction of the insight practice. And we learn how to do that in just very simple ways. Again, just by being with sensations and being with the movement of sensations, we're going in that direction. And we learn to do that. And it's a whole, it's a whole dance in relation to what I talked about in terms of healing. It's a whole dance that we haven't gone into detail uh, about as to how one balances the need for healing with the movement towards, um, in a sense, going beyond the self. There's a lot we could say there. Probably could do a whole retreat on that topic, right? Because it's, it's very crucial. Maybe that can come in, you know, as we talk more, especially about integration with, with daily life. So particularly as the mind gets more quiet, we may have some sense that there is a kind of awareness that is almost like behind experience in which we're in which we're knowing experience there we may have this have a sense that there's a background awareness that's simply observing the process that's knowing the process or it may be almost like 
everything's appearing in a field of awareness. So before talking directly about awakened awareness, I want to make good on Devon's promise that I would give a few definitions, okay? Um. (laughs) So it's helpful before we talk about awakened awareness to just make some distinctions and have some clarity about the, the language, the terminology. So we'll be using the term consciousness, sometimes used synonymously with awareness in ordinary English. We'll be using that to point to a particular um, phenomenon in which uh, there's always a structure of consciousness and an object. We might say a knower and a known. And that's the way it's used in the teachings of the Buddha. He talks about consciousness, and the the Pali term is vijnana, V-I-N-N-A-N-A. He talks about uh, vijnana as always having an object, typically. In a a while, I'll talk about a time when he doesn't, but that's that's ordinary consciousness always has an object. And that's the structure. That's the structure of consciousness. It's very similar to what we have in, in uh, a number of Western models of consciousness. You know, one, one model is that some of you may have studied um, in the field called phenomenology, is that consciousness always, the language is, always has intentionality towards an object. Some of you may have studied that in school. And so that's consciousness, always a structure of knower and known. Uh, attention is directing consciousness to an object in a particular way. Its uh, attention is bringing heightened sensitivity to a particular limited range of experience. So attention is the drawing of attention. Right now, I'm looking at a piece of paper and also at you. You And our attention is limited. Mindfulness is knowing an object and knowing that we're knowing. You know, we've, I think we've gone over that before. So mindfulness is, again, focused on particular object, but it involves the further piece that we know that, you know, I know that's a thought, that's sensation. That's not the case with consciousness. Our ordinary consciousness knows objects, but it can be on totally on automatic, right? That's the differentiation with mindfulness. And now we come to awareness, which uh, in ordinary usage is uh, really like in um, psychology would refer to like this, uh, what is sort of coming into a large sphere we're not necessarily conscious of it, but like there's, you know, we have all this peripheral awareness. Like right now, we're actually aware of, you know, coming into our uh, background awareness are, you know, all sorts of information and data, and we're actually focusing just on a few of them. So awareness has this sense of being background and 
quite, you know, that's in an ordinary experience. And awakened awareness is sort of a variant of that. It's a, it's a large awareness that is innate. Um, it's, it, I'll talk more about it, but uh, Minger Rinpoche, who's uh, uh, Devon's main teacher, and I've studied quite a bit with, with him, he talks about the ever-present knowing quality of the mind. And so awareness is something bigger. Often we're not really in touch with awareness, and that, that's actually how it works a lot of the time. It's sort of his background things, and it's almost like the brain has this background awareness, and the brain tells us, hey, look at that, focus there, you know, something like that. What we can do when we investigate awakened awareness is that we can actually tune in deliberately to awareness. And that's what I'll be, that's what I'll be talking about. So again, I'll, I'll look at this notion of awakened awareness in the context of the teachings of the Buddha and the Thai forest tradition, and then also Tibetan tradition. In the teachings of the Buddha, there's a sense that a kind of awakening is possible at any moment. That some kind, that a kind of, uh, really, I would say, a kind of awakened awareness is there. Most of our practice is more gradual. We develop mindfulness, we develop concentration, we develop different qualities, patience, equanimity, and so forth. And it's often understood as a very gradual path. But there's also a way that we can tune in to the depths of our being and the depths of our awareness in a way that is connected with awakening. And and some of you have heard the chant, it goes like this, Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo, Sanditiko Akaliko Ehipasiko Opanaiko Bachatangwe Ditapo Winyuhiti. And what that means is discovered and well proclaimed by the Buddha. And then it goes to the essential point, apparent here and now. So we're going to be pointing to a sense of awakening which is accessible in the moment. Apparent here and now, directly visible, timeless, immediate. And then it says, come and see, onward leaning, and lastly, experienceable by the wise. So it's pointing to a kind of awakened awareness which can be an immediate experience. And typically it's understood as the fruit of long periods of practice, but it also can be something, and this is what we'll be exploring, that can be accessed uh, more, more deliberately. In the teachings of the Buddha, this pointing to a kind of awakened awareness, a um, different kind of awareness is 
just in the margins of the discourses, the central teachings that we know don't have this teaching in an explicit manner, although we could say that it's implied, because I I think it's equivalent to the third noble truth, the end of dukkha, right? Because this awakened awareness is beyond dukkha. But there are a few passages where the Buddha does talk about um, a different kind of consciousness. He says that there is a consciousness and he uses the word vijnana, but then he gives adjectives which suggest that it's not ordinary consciousness. He, so he does use the word consciousness. He says, there's consciousness that is signless, boundless, and all luminous. Signless means beyond conceptualization, beyond concepts. You know? And we, you know, a lot of our practice helps us to wind down concepts, right? You know that, you know, we know that as we practice more, we can look at a sunset and see the sunset, right? Without a lot of concepts, without commentary, right? We can be with a tree without so much commentary. So the research actually shows that as mindfulness develops, the uh, posterior cingulate cortex, which is the home of conceptualization winds down some, quite a bit. Our ordinary meditation is winding down conceptualization. How many have a pretty direct taste of that winding down, right? Just, I think it's fairly, fairly ordinary in a way. And then the second is boundless. The, the um, consciousness is like a great expanse, like the radiating metta, really, that there's a, it's a sense of great expansiveness like again, like the heart qualities described as immeasurable. And then lastly, all luminous. Do you want to connect with an awareness that is beyond concepts, boundless, and luminous? Anyone want to sign up? Okay. Okay. Okay, I, I didn't see everyone, but <laughs> but I'll assume that um well, I don't know what I should assume. But I, I think we all have interest in that, and it, it has interest in us. So here's a passage from the Buddha. Where consciousness is signless, boundless, all luminous, that's where earth, water, fire, and air find no footing, meaning concepts don't apply. Both long and short, small and great, fair and foul, name and form are wholly destroyed. That's from the Buddha. So these are just a few somewhat rare passages. Another passage pointing to going beyond concepts. Where neither water nor yet earth, nor fire nor nor, uh, air gain a foothold. There gleam no stars, no sun sheds light. There shines no moon, yet no darkness reigns. When a sage has come to know this, for oneself, through one's wisdom, one is freed from form and formless, freed from attachment to pleasure and pain. Basically free, liberated. So this kind of awareness is connected with freedom, with liberation. Again, it can be sometimes temporary and then increasingly more stable. 
the Buddha is in dialogue with practitioners. When the sun rises and a shaft of light is entered by way of the window, where does it land? On the western wall, sir. And if there is no western wall? On the ground, sir. And if there is no ground? On the lake, sir. And if there is no lake? (laughs) It does not land. That feels kind of zen-like, doesn't it? (laughs) Okay. Uh, In the same way, consciousness, when there is no dukkha, does not land or grow. This is free from dukkha. Awareness is luminous. The mind is radiant and brightly shining, freed from what gets in the way. So we have those pointers, and as I'll I'll come back to say, the Buddha didn't give techniques or methods to access that awareness. Or if he did, they weren't written down. And remember the, uh, remember the discourses of the Buddha were kept as oral tradition for 500 years. So there may have been some slippage. <laughs> so in the Thai forest tradition, there's something like this awakened awareness. And there's some methodology for accessing it, which we'll explore tomorrow. So I want to talk about that, some about the Tibetan traditions of Dzogchen and Mahamudra, and then I'll talk about the ways to access it. This is from um, the British uh, student of Achan Cha, uh, who was a Thai uh, monk and teacher who, who I had the privilege of studying with. He says, the aim of the practice is subjectless, objectless awareness. That's his language, like awakened awareness. The heart rests in the quality of open, spacious knowing, and there is the recognition of the mind's own intrinsic nature. It is empty, lucid, awake, and bright. So this is coming from the Thai forest tradition. There are a lot of similar descriptions, quite, quite beautiful. We posted some images here, and you can't see them so well from afar. You can come up and look at them later. On the left is one of the persons who helped really let the Thai forest tradition, which again, pretty recent, develop, Achan Sao, who was the teacher of the person to the right of him up there, Achan Man, who was like a spiritual genius, lived from about, I think, 1870 to 1949, wandered around what is now Thailand and Burma, practicing. If you read his biography, which is on the web, it is wild. He was just, his mind was very well developed. He talked about the radiant mind. And I'll read, a, I'll read some passage. He talked about the radiant mind or the primal mind The primal mind is radiant and clear by nature, but is darkened because of corruptions. Does that sound similar to what we heard from the Buddha? 
There's a, a primal radiant mind. This mind is originally radiant and clear, but because passing corruptions and defilements come and obscure it, it doesn't show its radiance. One of the students of Achan Man was uh, Mei Chi Chao. I have an image of her right next to Achan Man. She lived from 1901 to 1991 in in Thailand. This is, uh, there's a, a biography of her which you can get on the web. This is from the biography. Mei Chi Chao. Uh, Mei Chi is, is uh, uh, just a name for a um, woman monastic, female monastic. And I won't go into some of the background of that, but that's the, that's, Mechi is just a um, title for a kind of monastic. Mechi Chao had investigated and understood conceptual phenomena so thoroughly that the clear, bright essence of her mind no longer made conscious contact with concepts. Thought and imagination within the mind had come to a complete halt. The mind's essential knowing nature stood out alone on its own except for an exceedingly refined awareness, an awareness that suffused the entire cosmos, absolutely nothing appeared. Mind transcended conditions of time and space, a luminous essence of being that seemed boundless, you hear some of the echoes, that seemed boundless yet wondrously empty, permeated everything. Everything seemed to be filled by a subtle quality of knowing, cleansed of the things that clouded and obscured its essence, her mind revealed its true power. Another teacher is whom, whom I met in Thailand, Achan Mahabua, lived a very long life, died in, in uh, 2013. I, I was at his monastery in the 1990s for a short time. Um, again, very similar. Whatever arises has to vanish. Whatever is a natural principle in and of itself won't vanish. The pure mind won't vanish. Everything of every sort may vanish, but that which knows they're vanishing doesn't vanish. This vanishes, that vanishes, but the one which knows they're vanishing doesn't vanish. Whether or not we try to leave it untouched, it keeps on knowing. Achan Cha was a student of um, Achan Man. And maybe I'll tell the story in a, just a little bit. Um, and he used language like he talked about the primal mind, the one who knows, the old mind. Let me see, I think I have a, I wanted to read from here. This is a really nice book. It's on the reading list, which we'll get at the, on, the, on the last day of the retreat. Everything arises, everything falls away. It's a lot on the uh, on Anicca Dukkha Anatta. So this is Achan Cha. The nature of the original mind is unwavering. It is tranquil. We are not tranquil because we are excited over sense objects. We end up as slaves to the changing mental states that result. Practice really means searching to find our way back to the original state, the quote-unquote 
old thing. We want to touch the old thing. That's his language. It is finding our old home, the original mind that does not waver and change following various phenomena. It is by nature perfectly peaceful, something that is already within us. So you find that kind of a pointer, right, with with the Thai forest tradition. Um, different language. And very similar language we find in several Tibetan traditions, particularly Dzogchen and Mahamudra. Uh, Dzogchen is, uh, is a term that would be translated as the great perfection. This quality of awareness is taken to be the perfection of practice. That's one way to say it. Mahamudra means, many of you know maha means uh, great, or, and mudra is a symbol, like, or like a hand gesture is a mudra. So this would be the great gesture or the great symbol. And um, they're pointing to something very similar to this signless, boundless, luminous awareness. And again, the, what we'll explore t- you know, tomorrow in practice is that this is accessible. And so just a few um, passages from the, from the Tibetan tradition. I'll particularly work with, well, I'll work with both. This is from one of the great masters of uh, Dzogchen named Long Chenpa, who lived in the 14th century. And there's an image of him on uh, the, the third row, second from the left. He says, awakened mind is by nature primordially pure. Are you liking to hear these? This is basically saying this, we practice, we get to hang out there. I mean, it's very, it's very good news. <laughs> right? But we have to do, you know, as it were, all of our homework. No shortcuts. That's not good news, is it? Is that good news? No, not. Some people are saying no. Who wants shortcuts? Okay. <laughs> Who knows that shortcuts don't work? <laughs> okay. Same people. Very good. <laughs> so, also from Long Chenpa, awareness is evident and naturally occurring. Since the genuine state of uncontrived rest is unobscured and unobstructed, with no division of inner and outer. It is evident as the supreme nature of phenomena. And here are some instructions. Let your mind and body relax deeply in a carefree state with an easygoing attitude like a person who has nothing to do. (laughs) We'll explore those instructions tomorrow. (laughs) Just do nothing. Easier said than done, right? I'll get to that in a moment. I was thinking I, I once uh, was, was asked by a teacher, I had a 10-day retreat, and he said, I want you to do nothing. Don't even meditate, but be aware. And I thought it was really cool. And, but, you know, I, I, have, I have some old history and habits as a doer. Anyone else here a doer? Okay, I think it's, it's, it, there is some... 
uh, what um, social and cultural conditioning around that, to say the least. Um, and, and so I found myself doing the retreat and really enjoying. Just said I just said doing the retreat, didn't I? And <laughs> and I was meditating and really enjoying not doing. And then I found myself saying, "I'm doing not doing really well." <laughs> so, snuck in through the back door. And so here's uh, here's another expression of this. this is from the Mahamudra tradition from the 16th century, Dagpo Tashi Namgyal. And these are lines that I'll come back to because uh, one of the ways of accessing uh, awakened awareness is actually through words that can come from like, that come from an awakened place and can simulate it. So these are some I actually have used in my practice a lot. Um, and listen to these words and see if they resonate in ways that invite a large awareness, open like the sky, pervasive like the earth, unshakable like a mountain, shining like a flame, lucid like a crystal. Again, taken to be a natural quality of our being that's accessible. Sometimes some call it natural awareness or the natural state, different language used. And it's um, kind of sometimes hard to fathom that there can be this quality of our being which is about freedom and, and luminosity. There was a, a great, a great uh, yogi and adept uh, named Naguma from I think around the 11th century. And she had these lines. She said that this awakened awareness is so close we cannot see it. So simple we cannot believe it. So profound we cannot fathom it. So excellent, we cannot accept it for ourselves. So again, this is a kind of awareness that is beyond the ordinary structures of self and other, knower and known, ordinary object, ordinary conceptualization, also beyond time and space beyond the ordinary structures of experience. It doesn't involve effort. In some traditions it's called non-meditation. It's also sometimes said that when one has access to this kind of awareness, one is destroying meditation. So we'll we'll do that tomorrow. <laughs> okay. So last part. How do we access this awakened awareness? And we'll explore a few ways of accessing. First of all, to say that this awakened awareness sometimes occurs naturally 
in our experience. We may have that experience in the wilds for a moment. We may have that experience sometimes in a moment of deep creativity. Something may open up. It can happen when there is profound love and connection between, let's say, two human beings. Something can open up that's like this. And so it can open up uh, outside of meditative traditions. People might sometimes use the language mystical experience. And some, you know, that covers a lot, but some kinds of mystical experience can look like this. So that can happen. So there are a lot of different access routes. When I studied with Mingyur Rinpoche for a month, he gave 10 access routes to uh, get to awakened awareness. I'm going to talk about maybe five or six briefly here, and then we'll explore them in the next two days. And when we do that, we'll be doing that on a basis of continuing our cultivation of samadhi and of insight. So we'll typically have sequences of practice where we stabilize with samadhi, work with some of the insight practices, and then have a period of accessing just for a short time, and then go back and maybe have another cycle like that. And so the... In my experience, the practices of developing samadhi and insight are really crucial for both being able to access and especially being able to stabilize. You know, I have found that development of samadhi crucial for stabilization. Really, really crucial. And I, I found that just by, you know, in the period after I first was accessing awakened awareness, I did about three years of really a lot of cultivation of samadhi and it played a huge role. You know, I wasn't doing it intentionally for that reason. It just it worked out that way. So a lot of different a lot of different methods. So one approach that we'll explore is letting go, that sense of doing nothing, letting go of effort. Um, This is from uh, Talopa, who some say was Naguma's brother. These are some instructions for awakened awareness when one is ready. Don't recall, let go of what is past. Don't imagine, let go of what may come. Don't think, let go of what is happening now. Don't examine, don't try to figure anything out. Don't control, don't try to make anything happen. Rest, relax, right now, rest. Those are instructions. (laughs) Okay, we'll we'll work with these in different ways. This is from Longchenpa. Given awareness which is not cultivated in meditation, crucial point, and in which nothing is discarded or adopted. If you meditate again and again, you will see that there is nothing to cultivate in meditation. Nothing to cultivate in meditation. This is the meditation of omnipresent awareness. And there are other passages like that. That's actually 
part of the, the rationale for a lot of Zen practice, like with koans. You get exhausted by doing koans, which go beyond the ordinary conceptual mind. At a certain point, you just give up and something opens up. There's something interesting, right? Related to that, interestingly, I know from Mingyur Rinpoche, he said, you can also sometimes access awakened awareness when you're totally exhausted and the mind is just not going anywhere. Also sometimes when you're startled. And, or, you know, so, so they use that sometimes. One of the access methods is just to startle, like say, pay! <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, different ways. Of, and he also said, when you sometimes when you yawn, look for your look for awakened awareness after you yawn. So interesting. So letting go sometimes because we're exhausted, sometimes deliberately. Another method is becoming aware of awareness. This was more used in the Thai forest tradition. You know, Achan Cha heard there was this great teacher, Achan Man, and he went looking for him. You know, um, Achan Man was walking all over Thailand and what's now Burma with a group. You know, he didn't have email. <laughs> and he, he was hard to find. Achan Cha wandered around trying to find him because he heard there was this great teacher. He found him eventually. And he said, oh, let me study with you. But then he found out they belong to different lineages in Thai Buddhism. And according to the regulations, if you weren't in the same lineage, you only could study for three days with a teacher. So Achan Cha said, okay, I'm ready to give it up. And Achan Man said, no, stay in your lineage. I'll give you instructions in three days. And we need some good monks in your lineage. And so three days, the essence of the instruction was notice phenomena occurring, stay with phenomena, and then notice, let phenomena be in the foreground. Notice that there's awareness in the background that's knowing the phenomena. And then find a way to let the awareness be the foreground and the phenomena the background and stay with the awareness. That was the core of the instruction that Achan Cha got. He practiced it for the next three or four years, maybe longer, maybe seven or eight years, right? So that's the second one, uh, becoming aware of awareness. Some other traditions, one can use inquiry, like uh, who am I? As you, some of you know, that's used in a number of traditions. Not in the traditions I've named, but it's used in other traditions you know, who are in some Zen tradition. I know in Korean Zen, uh, as I heard from Stephen and Martine Batchelor, in some parts of the practice, they would just sit and say, and ask, what is this? And kind of that inquiry would wear out the mind and something might open up. So that, that's a method. Um, there's another method, which uh, I think this may be the last one I'll, I'll name, which works with uh, phrases or with, with uh, passages, with words. And kind of like what I gave when I said, uh, you know, open like the sky, 
pervasive like the earth. Uh, I used to use that to invoke the awakened awareness, that the words can sometimes invite that. Did you feel something happening a little bit with those words, like something kind of opens up some, even if a little bit? And so I learned about this method from uh, a teacher who lives in the Bay Area named Amnam Tupton. How many of you know Anam Tupton some? And he, li- he lives nearby. He was very generous with me for about a, you know, probably a two-year period. He gave me a lot of guidance. He told me about some of the methods they used in ancient Tibet that he learned, you know, particularly what are called dohas, which are using words that come from uh, maybe writings or almost spontaneous poems or songs that come from the place of awakened awareness, like, like the words that I read. And uh, one can recite these and they can invite that quality of awakened awareness. I used to use the ones I mentioned, open like the sky. I just used to say that, be outside and be with the sky. And you know, another method that, I, that some of you know is like, actually to be with the sky and let the mind, like the, spaci- like the spacious sky, invite the spacious mind. That's another practice commonly used. And so I would be outside with the sky and use these words. Another phrase I used, I used was simply rest in awareness. And that would, at a certain point, that would invite something. <clears throat> You know, so one can use words. I, I, I've been exploring also letting words come out. So um, Devin and I were exploring just having words come out of one's own being from a more awakened place. So, you know, I'll see what comes out right now. It's like, but this can be a way of uh, inviting like, ah, the hall is big like our mind from the, from the floor to um, to what is above, guided by wisdom and sealed by love. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, were, we were playing around before. <laughs> I was like, okay, am I going to do this? <laughs> or just, you know, the bell. <laughs> The bell is empty inside, just like me and my mind. <laughs> okay. So. Okay. And I'll just mention also radiating metta is an access place, like we, like we did. And, and I, I think we'll, we'll use that. So let me finish. Um, by remembering that all these practices go together, right? And that the, um, the accessing is uh, not so hard. One can access for a little while. But then the, the stabilizing takes time and it's quite mysterious. I can watch, you know, see my own development over quite a lot of years and it's mysterious and we um, we have to do the practice of developing stability and then the kind of the healing and purification work connected with insight practice 
You know, it's really, it's a whole path, right? It's not, they're, again, they're not shortcuts much as we might like them. And um, so let me end. Maybe I'll end with two things. The first is, this is from Achan Mahabua. When dukkha is completely stopped, nothing remains. All that remains is an entirely pure awareness. This is not a noble truth. It is the purity of the mind and heart. If you want, you can call it Nibbana. There's nothing against calling it whatever you want. <laughs> All I ask is that you know this marvelous, extraordinary Dhamma it's excellent, exists on its own accord without our having to confer titles. And then the last one is a poem by uh, Gary Snyder, who's a, a Dharma poet. The Dharma is like an avocado. (laughs) Some parts so ripe, you can't believe it. But it's good. And other parts hard and green without much flavor. Pleasing those who like their eggs well cooked. And the skin is thin. The great big round seed in the middle is your own original nature, pure and smooth. Almost nobody ever splits it open or ever tries to see if it will grow. Hard and slippery, it looks like you should plant it, but then it shoots out through the fingers and gets away. Let's sit for a few moments. Thank you for your very kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.